Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're moving back into the world of philosophy, and I want to talk about Rousseau and Rousseau's social contract. Um, But before I talk about the social contract, I want to talk a little bit about Rousseau. Rousseau was one of these people who was kind of part of the Enlightenment, but he was also anti-Enlightenment. He uses a lot of the ideas and a lot of the writing styles and expands all of these uh, in the Enlightenment. But he also feels that the progress of humans has kind of made us less. It's, it's sort of taken some things away from us. So he's kind of in this odd position where he is both in favor and against it at the same time. Um, and this is one of the things that kind of has made him an outcast somewhat. But it also made him someone who was extremely influential, especially to later philosophers, later uh, political thinkers, uh, because he was kind of outside of that. Now, we've talked about Hobbes and Locke and sort of given their view of uh, the social contract, of the state of nature, of, of the way things need to be. Remember, Hobbes was very much, you know, humans are evil and wicked and greedy and they need the Leviathan to keep them in line. You know, they need a powerful government that can uh, force them to submit absolutely. Locke tended to be much more of the uh, believer in separations of powers. Uh, Locke, again, becomes very influential in um, in setting up the uh, government in the United States and also setting up the government in France after the French Revolution. Um, both of them had their uh, followers. They have people that they inspired. Uh, Hobbes tended to inspire more of the authoritarians, uh, Lob, uh, Lot, sorry, Locke tended to inspire more of the um, people that were looking for democratic republics. Um, when you come in with Rousseau, you get a little bit different angle in the social contract. Um, one of the first things that Rousseau tries to do is look at what is a legitimate government? How do you judge the basis of legitimacy when it comes to a government? Um, You know, the prior thinkers uh, often just put that to, you know, religion, divine right of kings, uh, things like that. Um, Force, whoever was the strongest, according to Hobbes, should rule everything because they have the power to keep everything in line. But Rousseau sees force as something that is not a legitimate source of power. There's a lot of problems with saying you know, force makes right. For, force is, you know, the, uh, can be the foundation of any system. One of the problems with force is that people only obey because of force. Um, they don't obey for any uh, higher reasoning other than self-preservation. Uh, so they're only going to listen as long as you can keep that kind of hammer hanging over their head that you're about to hit them with. Uh, the moment they can get out of from under it, uh, the moment somebody else becomes more powerful, then the leadership just changes. And Rousseau talks about the fact that there's no connection between this and between what's right. Just because you're the stronger person doesn't mean you're the person that's right. You might be physically stronger than the other person who's trying to lead, um, and the other person might be 
a lot more intelligent, but you, you know, bash their brains in and now you're the leader. So there is no connection between force and right. And so he kind of pushes all of these to the side uh, and says, this is not what, how you get right. This is not how you get a legitimate system. Um, this is not where legitimate uh, power comes from. And people only have the obligation to obey legitimate power. If the power is not legitimate, as soon as you can get out from underneath it, as soon as you can get away from it, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with you doing that. Um, so in other words, if you can become the more powerful one, then you get to make the rules. Or if you can get away with what you're doing without the powerful noticing, then it's okay. And, and this system sets up no, uh, no way of having any true justice. So he wants to look at what are the legitimate basis of government. And one of the things that he comes to the conclusion is that since he's dismissed might as being a legitimate basis, he says governments have no reason, have no, I'm sorry, no, uh, sorry, no right to enslave their people. And this is one of the things that he saw from the monarchies around him. He saw that the governments were able to force their people um, to be obedient. And he saw this as illegitimate. Um, and he starts to think back to the state of nature. Uh, Hobbes, remember, had thought about the state of nature. He thought it was a time period where everyone was brutish and, and you know, selfish and violent and, and greedy. And you know, it was a horrible time to live in. Uh, Rousseau sees it as very different. He sees it as a time of almost unlimited freedom. But the problem is the freedom is very limited because when you're in the state of nature, you're solitary. So no one can tell you what to do, where to go, what to eat, what not to eat. Um, these things are all up to you. The problem is when you're in this state, you're a solitary figure which means you don't really have that much freedom because most of your life has to be um, spent just getting the basics, getting food, getting water, getting shelter, getting wood for fire. And so your freedom is not really that much. Even though you have the freedom to do whatever you want, on one hand, you don't have any of the ways to enjoy that freedom because your life is endless toil. Uh, as people came together and made societies small tribes, civilization, uh, small cities, towns, things like that, there started to be more division of labor. People could have more freedom because they weren't forced to do all of the tasks themselves. Some people would handle getting the food. Some people would handle making the clothes. And, and so this freed up people, and it gives you more freedom. But there's always a trade-off, and this is what Rousseau starts to talk about is as you move from the state of nature, you have to give up some of your individual freedoms to gain freedoms that are even better. Freedoms like security, stability. Um, and so he sees this as the beginnings of the legitimacy of power. When people voluntarily get together and, and discuss things and say, we are going to set up society this way, and they set up society a certain way, um, this is a legitimate basis of power. 
because all of the members of the society have decided that this is what they're going to do. And you have more freedoms because even though you have more obligations, um, others have those obligations to you as well. Um, you have more rights because those rights are the rights of everyone. So as you can see, one of the things that Rousseau is really building towards is equality. The, the idea that all men are actually equal. And Rousseau even goes a little further than this, actually a lot further than this, and was, which was very controversial in his time period. He didn't believe this was just something that applied to men. He believed this was also th something that applied to women. He believed women were just as equal as men. Uh, this was not uh, sort of the patriarchal society where the men are in charge and the women are subservient. Uh, he also didn't see any legitimacy in slavery. Um, one of the things that he looked at and realized was you, uh, in, in enslaving someone else, uh, you've taken away all of their freedoms. Well, if we're all equal and we're all born equally free, uh, you have no legitimate right to do that. There's no legitimate reason you can say, I have made this person a slave. So he sees slavery as something completely illegitimate, uh, which again is something somewhat ahead of his time. Uh, he sees the idea of, you know, different peoples as not being different levels of equality. Uh, again, very much ahead of his time period. Uh, whereas you have the rest of the world thinking about colonization and sort of dividing the world racially, uh, Rousseau is like, no, all men are the same, all men and all women. Uh, in fact, he opens the social contract where he says, all men are born free and everywhere men are in chains. And part of what he sees about, the, the reason he says this, is he sees that we're chained to all of these illegitimate systems these systems that we have no need to keep going. Um, and he sees this as perfectly legitimate for people to overthrow whatever their system they're living under if it isn't a legitimate system of power that caters to the general will. Now, the general will is something that most people, when they read with Rousseau, they've misunderstood it. Um, they've taken it to mean majority rule, uh, which is not exactly what he means. Um, his general will is, uh, is something where all of the citizens or the citizens that are representatives, depending on whichever one you have, discuss something from every angle and they look at every side of the argument and they decide what is the best for everyone overall. And so sometimes in the general will, uh, groups are going to say, well, this doesn't benefit me more than, you know, this, this may be a slight inconvenience to me, but overall what it does for the entire society is good for me in the long run. So he sees this as, have, he sees people as having the ability to kind of get together and have these discussions. Now, part of why they can't do that is that they've been uh, kept from it. They've not been allowed to be involved in decisions. 
Um, the, the systems of aristocracy and monarchy have kept the people out of anything that has to do with power. It hasn't educated them about anything. Another part of Rousseau in some of his other writings that he talks about is the need for education and what kind of education that should be. And it's much more an education that teaches you how to think. Not just to think about what's good for me, myself, in the short term, uh, selfishly, but to think about how does serving all of, you know, think, serving all of the needs of everyone else also serve me. One of the things I think Rousseau has that a lot of other philosophies and philosophers do not have is this concept that there is this um, tension between the individual and the group. And in resolving these tensions, um, you're going to come out better off in the long run. But you can't ignore either side. We often have philosophies that will say, well, it's all about the group, forget about the individual. And then individual freedoms, individual rights get strangled out of existence. Or they say it's all about the individual, forget about the group. And then what happens is things break down because everyone is only thinking of themselves. Everyone's hoarding and gathering as much as they can. And the whole system eventually collapses out of pure greed and selfishness. And Rousseau kind of sees this general will as something that is a balance of the two. It must balance the needs and freedoms of a society with the needs and freedom of the in, freedoms of the individual in that society. And so by, you know, discussion, by actually analyzing these things from different perspectives, um, society benefits. And when society benefits, the individual benefits too. Because one of the things that Rousseau talks about <clears throat> frequently in the social contract is when the government is no longer uh, seeing to the general will, um, then the government is illegitimate and the people should just overthrow it. Now, you can imagine this is not something that would be popular with the people in power. This is not, these are not ideas that they would exactly like to hear about. Uh, most of what I think the reason they didn't come down on Rousseau harder was I think a lot of people in his time period kind of dismissed him as a crackpot and didn't think this would ever happen. And he really sees society as divided into two groups. The one group is the sovereign. And the sovereign, most people would define that as the king. But the sovereign for Rousseau is the people. It's, the, it's the, where the general will comes from. It's all the people equally. And the other part is the government. Now for Rousseau, each part, each of these two parts has a role to play. The sovereign is where the laws come from. The sovereign is where the organization of the government comes from. The government uh, is, is a body that simply executes the will of the sovereign. So the government only exists to serve the people. And this is definitely something that most, uh, you know, governments prior to, and even a lot of them to this day, um, try to avoid. You know, a lot of the despotic governments, the aristocracies, the royalties, uh, the um, 
you know, the, the different dictatorships and even oligarchies uh, have all sort of believed that, well, the, the people are here to serve us, uh, not the other way around. And with Rousseau, there's very much the idea that the government only exists to serve the people. And as soon as the government is not doing its job, you overthrow them and, and get rid of them. Now, the ideas of Rousseau, uh, like the ideas of Friedrich Nietzsche, get blamed for a lot of bad things that happen. Uh, for one, the reign of terror uh, in the French Revolution. You know, this was blamed later on on Rousseau. They said, you know, Rousseau stirred up the, the mob and the mob went wild and destroyed everything and became nothing but bloodlust. But this is not the general will. This is, this is a misrepresentation of what Rousseau was saying about the general will. Remember, the general will is not irrational uh, majority rules. The general will is much more structured. It's much more people discussing things, uh, looking at things from different angles, and coming up with ideas that include everyone. Um, it, it's much more about equality. Uh, a lot of the ideas of Rousseau are taken and used in the American and French Revolution. A lot of the ideas of Rousseau are taken and used in the uh, communist revolutions. Um, he has a lot of influence. And the reason for this goes back to his social contract. Because he doesn't see one type of government only as legitimate. He actually talks about three. He probably would have talked about more had he been exposed to communism and socialism. But he talks about three, three styles of government. Um, and he talks about how they must uh, serve whatever the conditions of the people are. The, one, the first one that he talks about is democracies. Uh, he talks about how democracies work very well in small amounts of people. Uh, when you have a small city-state, uh, it's, it's easier to get all of your citizens together to vote and, and to debate and to come up with what you should do. But as the size of the society gets larger... Uh, this becomes impossible. It's too hard to get larger and larger numbers of people together. So one of the things that happens is democracies from Rousseau can only work in small societies, you know, small little towns, small tribes, uh, places where basically everybody knows everyone and, and the way of life is simpler. As you get into larger societies... Uh, this tends not to work very well. And this is where Rousseau talks about a second type of government, an aristocracy. Now, aristocracy is the term that he uses, but aristocracy doesn't just mean, for Rousseau, it doesn't just mean that these are people who are born with these titles so they're in charge. Uh, Rousseau also sees republics as aristocracies. Because you're electing small numbers of people, small groups of people, who will then represent the larger group of people. Uh, and these aristocracies, you can think of as, you know, the United States government would be 
according to Rousseau, a type of aristocracy. Not because these people were born to this position, but because it's a small group of people that are elected by the rest of the people who are supposed to get together and, um, you know, try to come up with the general will that serves the population. Now, one of the things that Rousseau, you know, bases a lot of this on is that as a society gets bigger, your individual voice is going to shrink. If, if you're one out of ten in a society, you have a pretty decent say-so about what goes on. If you're one out of 10,000 or one out of 100,000, your, your voice means less. And so in order to, account, to sort of accommodate this, as societies get larger, you have to give up some of your individual voice. So the larger the society gets, the less individual voice you have. The trade-off for this, though, is that as the society gets larger, you also get more benefits. You get more freedoms. Um, because you have a larger population, you have a larger division of labor, you have more and more choices. And so your freedoms actually become more as society becomes larger, but your voice becomes less. Now, for really large societies, um, Rousseau said the only way to govern those would be in a monarchy. Uh, you would actually have to have either one person or a very few people kind of making all of the rules and going and, you know, and trying to fulfill the, the general will. Now, the again, you know, people look at this and you realize you can justify pretty much any system of government. You could even, if Rousseau had known about it, justify communism. The people get together, they form a government, they want the government to do these things, and then the government does those things. But remember that this has to do with the general will of the people. And when the government gets to the point where they are not uh, taking care of the general will, where they are not doing things for the general will, where they're just serving themselves, they violated the contract. And according to Rousseau, the people now no longer have any obligation to listen to this government. They can overthrow the government. Um, and again, you can see where this is uh, very much something that uh, rising uh, systems would love. They, they would love Rousseau's ideas because he kind of gives them to go ahead. Yes, organize the people, make your new system, and take care of the needs of the people. Whereas entrenched power is going to look at these ideas of Rousseau and say, you know, we, we don't want to lose our power. We don't care what the people want. We're in power. This is ours and we're keeping it. Um, okay, I'm going to break off for there. Um, the social contract has a lot more in it than what I went over. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a pretty large... Uh, well, it's about six pretty good-sized chapters, six six pretty good-sized sections. Uh, it's not a, you know, uh, unmanageable read, but it does cover a lot more than I did. Uh, one of the things that as these seasons go on, we will get more in-depth on these things. But right now, we're in season one. I still want you to just get... Okay, I know some about Locke, I know some about Hobbes, I know some about Rousseau, I know some about, you know, the Romantics, I know some about the Renaissance, etc. 
um, you're, you're getting sort of little pieces that you're we're going to start putting together in a bigger picture and then we're going to start getting a more in-depth look at that picture much the same way you would do if you went through college you went through a college degree in something you start out very general just kind of gathering the basic ideas and then you move into more and more in-depth study so future seasons are going to be very very large there are lots of episodes i have planned um, i hope that this doesn't take me the next 20 years to get all these episodes out i'm going to try to keep pushing them out as quickly as i can but i want i want to let you know that you know Every once in a while, what we're doing, what the what the structure of this is, so it doesn't feel like there's a lot of things that are all over the place. Yes, season one is a little bit all over the place, but that's intentional because it has to give you kind of a, a wide view, uh, you know, a snapshot of sort of the, the panoramic view of what's going on. And then from there, you kind of will step closer and look at each part of the picture uh, more closely. I hope all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.